Are you tired of working nine to five? Are you tired of your dreams going unfulfilled? Are you still letting fear stop you from pursuing that business idea? Well, all that stops today. I'm Shawnee Sanders, host of the Girl Take No podcast, a podcast for ambitious women looking to ditch their nine to five and take the leap into entrepreneurship. Each week, you will learn the mindset, methods, and actionable steps other successful entrepreneurs took to make the shift from full-time employee to full-time entrepreneur and live the life they always dreamed of. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Girl Techno Podcast. I am your host, Shawnee Sanders. And today I have with me Beth McDaniels. Um, Beth is a C-suite executive. She is an award-winning, um, successful award-winning entrepreneur of a company called Reactive Services. She is an accomplished attorney and she is an advisory on other, on climate technology. Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Shawnee. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I think we're going to have a really good conversation today. Um, before we jump into it, I would like to get the story behind the brand, the story behind why we choose to go into entrepreneurship or career path that we choose. So tell me the reason why you decided to um, go into entrepreneurship. Well, okay, there's, there's a short answer to that um, and then a longer answer. And the short answer is I'm not always on time. Okay, but a regular job, <laughs> and I don't always wear the right clothes, and I, like, I don't like telling someone telling me what to wear and what to say all the time. And yeah. So uh, maybe I just, you know, was not born and wasn't, wasn't suited to just like climb that corporate ladder. Mm-hmm. And um, but but having going back into my life, I would say, well, I grew up. My my dad was my mom was a stay at home mom. My mm-hmm. dad is very supportive, though, of his business, and she had a good business mind. My dad um, was a chemist, and he, um, he, you know, this was back in the 70s and 80s, and he, you know, he worked his way up um, in, the, in the company and eventually organized an employee buyout of his company. He was a, he's a very uh, good example of what a corporate leader should be that mm-hmm. you don't necessarily find. He was, I always say he was one of the, most fair, equitable minds I ever knew and mm. really treated um, each employee was had had the same value he felt like as he had and he treated people equally and he brought himself down if he needed to and brought other people up and he um, and that was just his way of doing things and it was very successful for him and he ended up being president of his company. Um, mm-hmm. Along with that, we always had side businesses. We always had small family businesses. In fact, I'm in the paint business now. I think you'll ask me some questions about that. You'll hear about that. And it's interesting that my parents bought a paint store at one point when I was oh, wow. up. And so I worked at this little paint store. We didn't know nothing about paint, but, <laughs> but they, knew how to, they knew how to run a business. And um, so, and that's something I would say about businesses, about small businesses you know, it can be applied to a lot of different things and yeah. if you have just general business knowledge. And so we always had, you know, rent houses that they would invest in and we would manage those. And that grew as, as their success grew and got into like apartment buildings and, and things of that nature. So we always had businesses going on and uh, and in closely held kind of family situations. And that's, that seems to be what I feel comfortable with because that's what I've ended up doing. Also. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Like one, I don't show up on time. Okay. I'm not always going to be on time. 
<laughs> so I have to be the owner of my time. And when I show up in places <laughs> and another thing, Oh no, I'm always dress. I don't like nobody tell me how to dress. I like that because listen, I'm exact same way. If I work for a company, you have to have a very much so relaxed dress code because I think people need to be comfortable, right. And show up still look good, but you know, I at least need to be comfortable and know that I can wear a pair of jeans. Right. Uh-huh. And express yourself I'm and express yourself I'd rather know that than, than everyone look homogenized exactly you know i actually work for a company before where you had to purchase a jean day so if you wanted to wear jeans you had to actually send five dollars in order to do it i don't know you know i wonder that too now that i think about it but yeah we had to purchase a jean day and give them five dollars so yeah yeah, that's how it is. But now with this whole new shift of work life and where a lot of people are working from home, it's like now everything has changed and it's so much better if you ask me. Well, in that <laughs> it is. And in that regard, you know, people giving a, a uh, an employee a proper work life balance, meaning, oh, yeah. you know, if they're going to be at work for eight hours a day, they got to get some, sometimes they got to get their kid to the doctor or they've got yep. to schedule something for their house to get repaired or, yep. you know, and so giving people that that work-life balance, I think, has definitely worked out better for us to, you know, and more productive. And so I agree with you. I think that it should, you know, you should be, and so that was something that I never thought that I felt into the, fell into the, you know, corporate um, structure because I, I, I felt like I needed to take care of other stuff at the same time. And so Exactly. You know, as a working mom, yep, you do. You have those things that come up. And, you know, now today I feel like, and you can let me know this um, because you have your own business as well. I think now today, a lot of times as people are looking for jobs as employees, we're looking for that company that does offer that balance now because we understand since COVID, we understand now that, listen, you know, we need to be able to be a little bit more flexible in our jobs and our lives to account for those things where you never know when you're kids going to get sick. You never know when you get that phone call and they're like, Hey, you got to come pick them up from school. And you know, I just, what, just things that life happens. And I'm in a position now to myself, cause I still do work full time and I work from home and, but I'm with a company where I've never experienced work-life balance like I do right now, where I'm able to have actual time to work, get my job done, but then have time to pursue some of the things that are bringing me joy and passion. And then I'm passionate about, and this has been the best thing that I've ever happened to my life. And now do you at your organization, at your company, Reactive Services, do you guys offer, is that something that you guys lead with as an organization say, hey, we got to be able to make sure that work-life balance is important for people? Yeah. Like we said, like I said, we've, we found that to be more productive and that you have happier people working for you. Yes, you do. Satisfied. And, and um, so, I, yeah, in that, you know, it's, it's much more about getting the job done. Yeah, and doing it well, and having integrity in the workplace, and and, mm-hmm. uh, and just being effective. And so, like when it comes to people taking um, vacation or time off, I, mm-hmm. you know, I I'm never I've never been one to just track someone's time and yeah, bust them out on everything. Yeah, not that I'm micromanager type of person. Yeah, I'm gonna judge you on how well you get the job done and how it works out. So uh, yeah, that's that's the way I feel. Even that's expenses. so cool. Yeah, even expenses. You know, I, I'm a, I'm gonna let you expense things. Mm-hmm. What we do uh, is we make that um, it can be public. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen this. We haven't done it exactly, okay, but I am considering doing this for expense reports. Uh, I know that there's a company that that I heard from one of, from their CEO, and he said 
I let them spend anything they want, but at the end of the month, they have to put their expense report on the, on their door to their office and everyone gets to see everyone else's (laughs) expense report. And it keeps people honest. It does. (laughs) No going to the strip club, guys. No going to the strip club. (laughs) You didn't go there just for dinner. You're not getting away with that. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, you know, listen to your background and your history in terms of your journey. And like I said, your father having a paint store, but that's did. And your father being a chemist. And now you moving over into that almost similar type of industry. Did that kind of um, dictate you going into that? Or did it's like, hey, we kind of went into this whole um, paint industry kind of by chance? Yeah, well, you know, I kind of married someone like my dad. <laughs> That'll happen. <laughs> he was, sure he's will. A crazy scientist too. And uh, <laughs> it just so happened that he got into the paint, paint industry for a variety of reasons we can talk about, but... No, he didn't expect to be in the paint industry. He was a biochemist by nature. He's like a crazy, uh, crazy, you know, hair on end kind of Einstein scientist, but about life sciences. It's what he, mm-hmm. he knows. I mean, he thinks of little things like biomolecules as like little pets almost, you know, that they <laughs> yeah. like this and they really like water or this kind of nutrient. Or you would think he was talking about his dog, you know. But <laughs> anyway, I digress. But anyway, I kind of married into it and we ended mm-hmm. up getting into the paint industry but it was just kind of funny that we ended up that we had a paint store growing up yeah so what how did you guys end up in the paint industry well um okay so what happened was um my husband was doing he had done some of his phd research um on um where he had cloned a gene mm-hmm. um, to an enzyme that breaks down pesticides, you know, how nasty they can be and all the defects and stuff, especially in Mm -hmm. developing nations where they're using too much of it and it causes all these problems. So they're toxic, right? Mm -hmm. Pesticides are. And so he had some, some good research on that. Well, what happened was 9-11 and, um, and there was a big fear at that time. You probably recall about weapons of mass destruction. And one of those weapons of mass destruction is a chemical weapon, like Mm -hmm. nerve gases. Okay. Yeah. Like things like sarin, Russian VX. These are, these are gases that were used in, um, in the, in the Holocaust, you know, to, um, in the, in the showers where they would send people and gas them to death. These are the kind of gases that they're talking about. Well, everyone was naturally freaked out about those for good reason. And we still should be. Um, Mm -hmm. But what, the connection is, is that Steve's work um, cloning this gene, pesticides and nerve weapons are similar chemical, they have a similar chemical makeup. And so he was approached by some news agency or something about his work. And they said, could you use this um, to, to against weapons of mass destruction to detoxify them? Well, his answer was um, not unless it was something like in a paint, because mm. what you don't, what a lot of people don't know about nerve weapons is that they're not really gases. They're really little tiny droplets and they fall down onto surfaces. So mm-hmm. the problem is, is you get, uh, they call them weapons of, of exclusion. Actually, if something is contaminated with a, with a nerve weapon, then, um, that whole place is just completely contaminated. You might as well just tear it down and, and, you know, or whatever you can get the air out of there. You can get it out of the air. There will be particles floating around, 
but most of it lands on all the surfaces and they're contaminated forever. And only like this much of it, this little tiny amount would kill a person. Mm. So, um, so he wow. said, well, it would have to be entrained like in a, in a paint or a coating. And we use those terms interchangeably, by the way, but, um, and put on all the surfaces and then yes, it could work. And they said, well, then he had a investor friend of him who friend of his that saw that news, um, that newscast. And he said, Hey, McDaniel, you know, can you really do that? And Steve was like, well, I'm not sure, you know, <laughs> I just said it, but it would have to be in a paint. And he's like, okay, well, if I got you some money, would you, would you try that? And he said, yeah. And so then that was the, that was where the investment dollars came in. Mm -hmm. And that was our first technology call that a platform technology, but it's a military, uh, it's a military product and it's a paint mm. that in which we have been trained this genetically derived um, um, enzyme and enzymes, you know, in nature, they're, they're always working and working and working. Right. So that, yeah. so we knew what that did in nature, but we took that and put it into this coding system. And that's where our art form comes in because that's what mm. we do in our business is we take things from nature that are already have some sort of functionality, put that into a paint and the art of putting that in a paint and allowing it to do what it does in nature is where we come in. And that's where mm -hmm. our expertise is. And then you can spread it across the surface and tell it to do that all across the surface. And so in the case mm. of weapons of mass destruction, let's say you had a tank that was, uh, that was coated the whole tank or, or a military yeah. uniform or some barracks or something like that. That was all painted with this special paint. We call it WMD tox. Mm -hmm. um, then if there were a nerve gas attack, you'd have to clear out the air and that would happen pretty quickly. But after all the droplets landed on the surfaces, you'd wait about 24 hours and then you could eat off that surface. It would be so cool. wow. It detoxifies very quickly. It's been evaluated by NATO and stuff like that. So anyway, it's a good, it's a really strong product. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. <laughs> think about it. We didn't know if it would, you know, you didn't know if it would, but then it did. You know, let me ask you this, me that, okay, you're not a scientist, you know, you don't come from that background. Like, did it, did, is this all something that you really had to kind of learn? Because it's no, like, no. it seems like it's so much. <laughs> and it's like, hey, you know, I have to learn all this new jargon and how things work in this world. And it's like, you might as well have a degree in science. <laughs> I know. Well, I've been doing it for 20 years, Shawnee. So yeah, I mean, it's sunk in and my husband's just always, that, 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 that means crazy science guy, right? So yeah, like living with Bill Nye, the science guy. It's <laughs> fascinating. I love it. But, but um, yeah, we talk about science a lot. You know, and mm -hmm. I'm the translator. I consider myself the translator that's going to take it to the world. You know, I'm going to bridge that gap between sciencey guy that doesn't always realize how intelligent it is or how how complicated it is. You know, mm -hmm. to the people to a layperson that doesn't know anything about it or isn't a scientist. Yeah. So where where do you guys see this evolving to? Because is this something that we'll be able to use like? I want to say almost like on an everyday person, like an everyday person household or things, buildings and stuff like that. Is it going to evolve to that or is it there now? Or what do you guys see, see it going? Let me clarify your question a little bit. Okay. okay so that was the first technology that I just spoke about. WMT okay. Then since then we've developed other technologies. We call mm. those platform technologies. So for instance, another one is, is a peptide. Okay. And a peptide mm -hmm. is just a small protein. We put that into a paint and it has, 
certain antimicrobial um, qualities to it. So for instance, if that's spread onto a surface, then it will break down bacteria, molds, algae, mm. fungus, even viruses, like enveloped viruses, like COVID. Yeah. We've had certain success with that since COVID. And so, um, so those are technologies that can be used in a variety of different industries for a variety of different applications. Everything from <clears throat> um, a hospital, for instance, might be the mm -hmm. most obvious thing you know, surgical suite where people, you know, get these secondary infections or whatever. You always hear someone going in for like a knee surgery and they come out with a staff, right? Well, a lot of that is caused by cross-contamination. Yeah. And so um, there's applicability in a lot of different industries all the way to maybe a mass transit system or even on a small scale, like a um, insertable medical device that would go inside the body. So everything, mm -hmm. I'll tell you also something about coatings that, it's the biggest industry no one's ever thought about. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're right about that. About <laughs> Nobody <Yes>. do. <laughs> you know, we just think about Sharon Williams and, you know, we think about all those kind of people. <laughs> That's about it. Right. That's the further as it goes. You think about paint on your wall, but if you yes. look around you right now and everything that you see is coated at some point in its manufacturing process, if it's yep. manufactured, okay, it's coated so that it protects the underlying surface. It's coated to give it color. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, um, what we've done is added this third dimension of functionality to it, that your, your paint should, you know, that the, the your coating on your computer screen should respond to you and break down fingerprints. Your mm -hmm. coating, um, you know, in your kitchen should break down the oils, the natural breezes and oils after you cook. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have, these are all platform technologies based in paint that have different applicability and different industries might pick and choose from them. And then the latest one that you know about is, um, is where we took a paint and instead of adding these biomolecules like peptides or enzymes, we put um, an organism, which is an algae, a single cell bacteria, taking you back to eighth grade science. <laughs> what does algae do? Just like trees, they photosynthesize. That's the mm -hmm. functionality that we were trying to get. And we put that into a paint and ask it to do what it does in nature, which is pull down carbon dioxide, right? Mm -hmm. And then it, with the help of, of, of sunlight and water and then releasing oxygen and glucose. So that's what we did. So now we have a, ca we have a, um, a coating system that actually captures carbon dioxide from the ambient air or from like emitters that are releasing carbon dioxide. So it's a climate change solution. Oh, wow. You know, you said something that's so true. We do not think about coding. We do not think about like paint. You're right. Everything. And I even look around my house. I'm like, everything is coded. Everything has something on it. And you don't think about that. that you know, that's why. Exactly. Everything. So that's why I'm like, this is such an interesting conversation and I'm learning so much as we go. <laughs> um, let me ask you this. Did it, was it difficult to get people to understand what you guys were doing and to, to see the benefits of it? Or was it like, oh, people got it right away? Well, okay. So let's talk about, that's a great question. And let's talk about what people, okay. So our, our customer base is not usually you as the end yeah. user, okay? So it's usually the way we do business at Reactive Surfaces is usually like um, a paint company will have some issue with a paint. You know, mm -hmm. they want it to be 
uh, remove fingerprints or they, you know, and they have a specific coding system they want to do that in. So they'll come to us to problem solve and to, and so then we'll take, you know, things and put them into their coding system, these additives to achieve that desired effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the way um, we do business. And though our, so our clients are usually paint companies or auto manufacturers or something like that, unless we're developing something on our own, which was mm-hmm. a climate change solution. No one paid us to do that. And, and so we, sometimes we just innovate. We're just an innovation machine. We're not, yeah. we're not actually selling paint. What we do is we innovate and then we license technology out. And, oh, okay. Okay. So that if someone wants our technology, you know, we prove it up and we'll say, okay, yeah, you want that anti-fingerprint paint in this particular coding system. So we'll, we'll do that in our labs. We'll achieve it. And then if they, and they pay for that. And if they want to, um, then license that technology, they have to pay to license it. And then they can manufacture it and distribute it. So that's where we lie in that in that food chain kind of is we're on the innovation. Oh, so people will seek your company out to maybe improve what they have or yeah, build on something new. new coding. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is but, interesting. So you asked, is it difficult? Yeah, it's been super <laughs> difficult. Okay. And in our particular industry, um, it, it was, it was a complete paradigm shift for us to take these, to take biology and put it into coding systems. Cause we merged mm-hmm. these two disciplines and, um, in the paint industry itself, there's been, you know, all throughout the paint industry. And this is like the slowest growing, you know, just, old white guy (laughs) smoking cigars yeah like a super slow growing industry they're not really open to new things i can tell yeah excuse me um they um they wanted to keep biologicals out of their paint because that causes spoilage of their paint so this was Mm. a complete shift to them so for the first 10 years or whatever, we were just, pub- we had to publish and all that stuff. We did all this sciencey stuff to prove up yeah. that it's okay if we do it this way, that we can yeah. do it successfully. So yeah, we had to prove ourselves up. Um, yeah, that's that's so interesting, <laughs> you know, especially with the paint business. It's, like, it's almost like you come in as an industry disruptor. You know what I mean? You come in and you really shift things and shake things up in this old industry that used to doing business a certain way. Exactly. And was it hard to convince them in terms of, like you said, about climate and climate change and climate control? Because, you know, a lot of people have people always debate about climate control. You have some people feel like, oh, it's not really happening. You know, people don't know what they're talking about. And you have those people who feel very strong about it. And we see we do see certain things that are happening. And it's because of that. Was it hard to get people to understand that piece of it in terms of like, hey, this really does help when it comes to climate control? Or was it something that was a selling point for um, to your customers? Well, we're still working on selling that. And so we're, yeah. we're seeking investment dollars to to further develop what we have. I mean, we've developed the paint because we're mm-hmm. in the paint business. So we got the paint and now you have to, and, and we have a good delivery system for that, like a good modular system. But but we have, we have yet to, uh, we're seeking a lot of different types of funding. Yeah. And so we're right in the middle of that. And I I think it'll happen very soon, just given what I know about that. But uh, was it, 
was it difficult to com- to convince people about climate change? Um, you know, I wasn't going to fight that battle because I was just like, you know what? There are enough people that believe in it that I'll just talk yeah. to those people. I ain't going to try yeah. to convince you that climate change is real. I mean, if so, you're probably not someone that I'm interested in doing business with if you haven't <laughs> yeah. bought into that science yet. I mean, yeah. that is just like very well-known science. And yep. um, there's almost no good, uh, there's just no good authority of climate change not happening. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just choose not, I just choose to narrow down the scope of the people that I would talk to, to, to you know, because I don't have to convince everyone. I just have to convince the people that I need you know, mm-hmm. so like when we're reaching out to um, investors and such, we we talk to investors that are seeking out climate change solutions already. And so we don't even talk about that. That's but good. It's, it's ridiculous to not believe in climate change at right now, because you know what they say that we are? They say, have you ever heard of the boiled frog? Uh, yeah. OK, so they say that we're boiling frogs. And what that means, in case your listeners aren't aware of it, is that supposedly if you take a frog and you put it in like in neutral um, temperature water, you know, just tap mm-hmm. water or whatever. And then you turn up the heat and you keep on turning up the heat until it's getting to be boiling. The frog will never know. The frog won't jump out. The yeah. frog will never know it's boiling. Okay. We're kind of those boiling frogs. We're in the middle of it right now. We are. And I feel like you see, you see signs of it everywhere. Even when I, cause I'm from Florida, I look at the beaches in Florida and a lot of it, how a lot of, and I, when I go visit now, I see how they're pushing the sand back, like how water's coming more inland where before when I was younger, you know, we didn't, we had much more sand you know what I mean? Much more of the beach itself. And now a lot of the water is coming more inland and a lot of the sand now is being pushed back to accommodate that. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, oh my God, listen, that's climate change. It's climate control right there. It I mean, if you, it, it really is. And I don't understand why a lot of people don't believe it when we see so many things that is evident of it and that we, we do need to do things better. We do need to think about what's better for our environment and how we can help. Yeah super storms and and california fires and even the yeah. tornadoes that we just saw like in the oh my god the mississippi area all that stuff there is a lot more weather going on than there used to be even in my yeah time. and i don't know where you are in florida where are you well originally i'm in i'm in maryland right now but i grew up i'm from i'm from fort lauderdale i grew up in florida fort lauderdale miami that whole area yeah so miami is really you know, there are reports yeah. that say Miami will be underwater in a hundred years. It's yeah. Not that long. Like Mm-mm. life expectancy for, you know, for your age, people probably is, you know, close to a hundred years and yeah. more. I mean, you were going to see that. Yeah. Lifetime. Yeah. And it's, it's, it is bad there. And it's so crazy how people don't, um, take it so seriously. I think that's one of the sad things about it. Um, when it comes to your business, when did you know it was time to start bringing, cause I asked a lot of entrepreneurs this question in terms of, you know, when you want to grow, you know, you have to, you need people to help you grow. So when did you guys know it was time to, Hey, we have something that's really big here, something that's going to be in high demand. Let's start bringing in other people. Let's grow our business. So to meet that demand, when did you know it was time to start bringing in like more people, more people to work for us? Or like yeah. More people to work for you, more people to work for you. Huh. Um, I guess, uh, you know, that's just kind of an ongoing issue, you know, with us because we're innovating in different areas. So we actually will take on, you know, a project 
and we will hire sometimes to the project, but we have our mm -hmm. base core of, you know, people that we've had really, we've kept our employees and they're, they're awesome. Um, a lot of scientists, you know, in mm -hmm. the lab. And so we have a lot of scientists in our lab and a lot of PhDs. And, and so we keep those core people and then we, we hire outside to help them, you know, complete projects and such. Um, but generally, like, if you're asking, how did we know when to grow? Like, yeah, we really put money into the company. It was when, you know, we had, um, we had done some work already in the lab and proven up a concept. Mm -hmm. And so we knew something worked, some new paint work to do. You know, we had put that peptide or put an enzyme into the paint. We had seen that and we had proven it to ourselves, to our satisfaction, that this was a viable opportunity. And then, then at certain times during our growth over the last two decades, we've reached out and gotten more um, funding in one way or another. Oh, yeah. 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 Because I know that growth is always something for every company to grow. And how easy was it for you to get the funding that you need? Because I know sometimes companies struggle with getting funding. You know what I mean? And being that you have such a um, an amazing product and what you guys are doing, how easy or how hard was it? to seek out that funding because at first the funding came to you, but then it's like, if you want to grow, we got to start seeking out that funding. So how hard or easy was that for you? Well, I don't want to turn your um, viewers or, or listeners off to um, starting their own business, but it was. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> it was hard. Listen, they've heard the stories. <laughs> it's hard, but you know, the thing is, is when you believe so strongly in something, I mean, yeah. look, there were times when we were mortgaging our house there were times, you know, again and again, there were times, there was a lot of times when we had to fill in the gaps because yeah. we believed so strongly in what we were doing. We weren't going to shut our doors until, you know, and then eventually we, we found the money to, you know, to back it and to grow, to grow faster. But uh, yeah, you kind of have to have some stick to itness, you know, if what you're doing is your passion. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have some kind of tough skin as an entrepreneur too. You know, because you got to be able to accept when somebody is like, oh, we're going to seek another option. You know what yeah. I mean? I think we're that. Kick you in the head. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, seeking another option is one thing. We've gotten kicked in the head. And also, you got to be ready to take on, you know, the, those forces that would come against you. For instance, mm -hmm. what you see in the background, actually, of this, these are all patents. We're, we're, we're uh, Steve and I are both lawyers, and yeah. he's a patent lawyer. Um, so we have an intellectual property firm. So that's what we do along the way also is we're always protecting our innovation as we develop it. Mm -hmm. but I was going to ask that question about if you're fearful, have you ever had someone try to take what you've, what you've done? Absolutely. I was going to tell you an anecdote about not just an anecdote, but true story. Um, we, uh, so the patent process is a very pretty slow process. Okay. I mean, mm -hmm. just imagine like one old granny, in there just reviewing like thousands <laughs> of patents and it takes like yeah. years to get a patent. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Like that. There used to be like literally this one woman that, that did it. And she oh, was wow. So okay. For, but it's gotten, it's of course bigger. Okay. But it is very slow process to get a patent. It's not always your best way of maintaining um, intellectual property protection. There's also all sorts of things you could do um, with uh, trade secrets and such like that, but we can mm -hmm. talk about that another time. But anyway, um, we had a patent application on file. Once you have a patent application on file with the, with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, that sets your that sets your place in line. Okay, mm -hmm. so anything that came before that, 
you might have to fight that, okay, or distinguish mm. yourselves from yeah. that. But anyone that comes and files a patent on that technology after that, you're in line ahead of them, okay? So they shouldn't be able to jump you. Well, okay. We found out uh, with our degrease technology, this is a technology that breaks down greases, fats, and oils. It's an enzyme in our coating system. We found out that Toyota, the Toyota company, had filed a patent on our technology. Oh, um, big brand, had, too. They had got, I mean, they had filed an application after us, and they got jumped up, and they got the patent. Okay? And you ask, well, how do you know? Maybe they invented it first. Yeah. One way that we know is because, and this happened, there was actually like six different violations that they had done, six different applications. And one thing that we found out was where they had, um, there was, we looked at our patent and application and compared it with theirs, and they had lifted our language word for word, including typos, <laughs> in our application and put it in theirs. That's plagiarism. And so it was clear that they copied our application and they jumped up ahead of us. So we went into and So you, you know what? I was just like, all right, Toyota, bring it on. You know, exactly. So we contacted them. We were like, we'll license this technology to you. Otherwise we're going to sue you for it, you know, but we'll do business with you. If you'd rather just do, if you want the technology, let's work it out. And mm -hmm. you know, this is business. Okay. So I wasn't deeply offended. Like, and I even drive a Toyota. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wasn't deeply offended by it, but I was just like, well, I kind of am offended by it. But I was offended by that, the fact that they didn't want to do business with us. They would rather spend millions of dollars on a lawsuit, which they did. Mm. They spent, there were six lawsuits that took like years and years to get through in the Patent and Trademark Office. And they would rather wow. spend that money fighting us on something that they didn't know that they did wrong, rather than just do business with us and get what they wanted in the first place. But anyway, got to be ready to take it on, you know, to fight. Yeah. Oh my God. That is so crazy. And they're, they are a big brand. You know what I mean? To have the nerve to steal someone else's word for word at that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, somebody pretty sure lost, somebody lost their job that day because you're going to take word for word that that's, that's a big deal. That really is. That's good. Cause I was going to, like I said, I was going to ask that thing about protecting yourself as a business and making sure no one takes your idea. It's so important, especially when you're pitching and when you're trying to get investment dollars and stuff like that. So have you ever had an investor who felt like, um, well, we can do this a little bit better than you can? Maybe did you want to find a little, a little cocky and felt like, well, I could probably get someone else, another company to do this for way less and, and get it mass produce it way better. Maybe not an investor, but we've definitely yeah. seen that on like the client side. If we have big mm. companies or whatever, they oh, yeah. what we're doing and then they want to try to do that in their labs. And we're like, yeah, if you do, then you better <laughs> not do it the way we are doing it because we have protection, IP protection on that. And so and we will come after you because, you know, that's what we do. Yeah. How has it been? Because I'm married myself. And to work with my husband, I probably would go crazy. How has it been? I don't want to work with him. We work better separately. How's it been working with your husband all this time? Um, you both are lawyers. You both are doing the reactive services together. How has it been? What has it been like? <laughs> you know, it was, it is actually the best thing. Like we love it. It's it, good. It's you know, we've been married for over 20 years. It yeah. Is, I mean, it's like, we have kids too. It's, we talk about them, but we also talk about this baby and 
Mm-hmm. You know, and this is kind of like just something that we always have to talk about. But mm-hmm. there's been this kind of, I will say, there's been an understanding between the two of us that we just let each other do, you know, we know each other's intentions are good. And mm-hmm. uh, and we know that we're good at what we do. We just kind of let each other do what we're going to do. And yeah. if, if one of us fails at something, then we don't, we don't harp on it. We, we support each other in that way, you know, like it's okay. And we don't, that's good. Uh, I mean, one time I remember he did get mad at me about something I did <laughs> and I was just like, I will freaking quit right now. Like, <laughs> just like, I said, I will walk away and quit. And so he never did that again. <laughs> and so we don't fight about work really i mean sometimes we disagree about the way to move forward and we just kind of work on that together yeah um but as far as like messing something up or you know doing thing like saying something wrong or whatever i mean we're we're pretty good about respecting each other in that way do you have a good balance when it comes to hey at a certain time we work together we live together at a certain time we have to cut off the work conversation and more so talk about love, marriage, kids, you know, love and marriage and kids. Is it, it does it have to be that kind of thing where you have to be intentional about it because you guys work together? Um, it all happens pretty naturally, you know, okay. I mean, we don't, we both love what we do and, and it's so exciting, you know, just being in an innovation space. So we don't yeah. really have to cut it off, but we talk about our kids a lot too and our dogs <laughs> and, and other things we like to do. <laughs> uh, okay, so you said that you guys are both lawyers as well. What inspired? Because your husband's a scientist and a lawyer, so it's like, what inspired you guys to do to go into the legal route? Was it because of all the different patents that you know you had to get that you felt like, hey, we need to get a, be a little bit more experienced in this so we can understand the laws, understand how to move forward, and make sure we protect ourselves? No, all of that happened before reactive surfaces. So, oh, okay, we we went to law school before we met. So okay. I went to law school for different reasons, but so patent attorneys um, always start out as scientists. You can't be oh. a patent attorney. It's a specialized field. You cannot be a patent attorney if you're not a scientist or an engineer. Okay. Um, and so he, he was, you know, all sciencey and everything. And then a law firm picked him up because they needed someone who specialized in that, that area of patent law. And so they picked mm-hmm. him up and said, we want to send you into law school so you can be a patent attorney. So that's kind of different. My, Mine was my, I mean, I just fell into it out of default. Like I was working at a <laughs> business and it didn't, and the business ended for natural reasons. Like they sold it off. And, mm-hmm. and then I was like, what am I going to do now? I was in mid twenties. And like, what am I going to do? And then I just applied to this law school in Houston where I was living and, <clears throat> and I got in and I was like, all right, I guess I'll go to law school. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to law school, but it's good. It's good to be an attorney. <laughs> I want you to know that I really love your, just your whole way of being, your attitude towards things. It's so, it's so I awesome. Wish, I wish it was more directed. Like I dreamed of that all my life. I, I know. Like I didn't. I like, he was like, uh, I guess I go to law school. <laughs> I was like, who is this law school that would have me anyway? You know, I was, I was smart enough to go to law school, but it's not that hard for your listeners, by the way. It's really <laughs> Oh my God. You are like, I, I, this has been a good conversation. I love talking to you. I could talk to you for hours. I feel like yeah, we need to have sometime. you should, cause this is hilarious. I swear. But this has been, listen, this has been a good conversation and I want to, so what do we, what is one of the key things you want people to know about 
your business and what you guys do as a normal consumer, you know, cause like I said, everything we buy is coding and everything is nonstick, you know, all that kind of stuff that we're thinking about with products and stuff like that. So what is one of the things you want people to know about the work that you and your husband is doing? Yeah. Well, I would say generally about coatings, I would say, you know, there should be an expectation that your um, the things that surround you in in your spaces should react to you in some way, and mm-hmm. it should be in a safe way. There are other there are other coating systems, for instance, that have um, additives that might be antimicrobial. Like I said, we have this one that we add peptides to it. But the yeah. things that we pull natural, you know, from natural systems in in the world are are non naturally non toxic, and a lot of those others either are being regulated out of existence because there's some, you know, problem with toxicity or they could, you know, damage, like, you know, there could be some natural, some environmental problems with them or something like that. Um, and, you know, some of them are heavy metals that do that mm-hmm. work. And, and I'm not saying they're bad products. I'm just saying that's the fact of the matter is that in certain places in the world, they're being regulated out and there is a question as to, you know, certain environmental problems with them. Yeah. So, have an expectation, have high expectations as consumer that you're looking for that kind of thing. But with regard to the climate change technology, which we call carbon capture coatings, mm-hmm. um, I would say people need to, I, I'm hoping that, that people will realize, unfortunately, we're not there yet. Okay. There are people you hear about in the news, big companies that are doing something to lower the emissions and stuff like that. But I've studied this nonstop for the last five years. I mean, I hadn't read a novel in five years, literally. I've just been consumed with climate change. That's all I ever read about. That's all I ever (laughs) research or study. Yeah. And um, we're not going to make it, frankly, if we don't start right now with a big, full effort. And if someone asks me, like, what's the best thing they could do right now? Call Call your member of Congress and tell them that we need more carbon removal systems. That's not mm-hmm. just, I'm not just saying that for ours, but that's where we're lacking. And um, so that's something that people could do is they, they could insist that these lawmakers who work for you do mm-hmm. their job and keep us and protect us and, and invest in technologies that will get us there because we're not getting there yet. Even if yeah. we lower emissions, it's not going to get us there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a good point. It's like, we got to remember that these are our politicians. They do work for us. They work for the people. And so you do have the right to contact them. I'm not saying you have the right to harass them, but you have the right to contact them and to let them know what we want and what we see better for our country. And climate climate control is one of those major things that's been very much so talked about. Like I said, it's been very heavy debated on both sides, whether people believe or not. And like I said, we're, we're not going to make it. There are a lot of things happening that we need to be aware of and we need to be more knowledgeable in this area as well, which is why conversations like this and more conversations about it need to take place because now we know about reactive surfaces. We know about coatings. You know, we, we've learned more. You know, I learned a lot from this conversation that I probably never paid attention to before, you know, and I'm excited about that. That's why I like talking to new people. You learn so much. And this has been so great talking to you because you're just so easy to talk to. You're fun to talk to. I had a good time. That's part of my day, so Yes, I had a good time. So before uh, we end, also, you know what, give people advice in terms of how to balance working relationships with your spouse. You know what I mean? Like, what advice can you offer someone that goes that's in business or looking to go in business with their spouse and just give them some kind of 
some advice in terms of how to work that out? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, find out what it is that person adds to the mix. You know, what is Mm -hmm. their strong suit? What is their highest and best use? And use them for that. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then, you know, each person contributes that into the mix. And like, for instance, with my mom and dad, my dad, my mom wasn't a worker. I mean, she, you know, wasn't kind of, this was, like I said, in the seventies and eighties, a lot of moms just didn't work. But mm-hmm. she was very supportive on her end of what my dad did. And she she picked up where he left off in a lot of ways. And so try to pick up and try to not make someone do something that's not in their wheelhouse because that that might get you into, you know, people feel a lot of discomfort from that. They yeah. might have skills they can build up in that area. But, you know, um, and so I guess that would be one of my um and then, yeah, and then just be friendly and go out for drinks and have fun with it and, and dream mm-hmm. big, dream big. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Dream yeah. big. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like that. Dream big. All right. Before we end the show, which I appreciate you so much, Beth, this has been, like I said, just a, such a joy to talk to you and such a good conversation. But before we end, I asked my, all of my guests the same question. What was some of the best advice you received from another woman? It could be any woman. It could be anybody. I mean, my mom actually mm-hmm. just passed away a couple of weeks ago. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, she used to, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I was just thinking about something she had dementia um, at the end of her life. She, her last word of words of advice, when she was just really far into it were, um, don't go out with your hair looking bad. <laughs> that was not the best advice that she gave me in her whole life. It's, it's a good one. Uh, and she said, but she used to tell me, you know, cause she had supported an entrepreneur also someone who, mm-hmm. you know, took risks and stuff like that. And she used to tell me about that, you know, um, you stick with it. You know, if you know that this is right, you're going to make this happen and you just stick with it. And mm-hmm. you just keep on going and we'll, we'll figure out. She was always so supportive of me too. And, you know, she helped invest and stuff like that. So I was just blessed, you know, with a yeah. family like that. But, um, but yeah, she, she encouraged me at a time when a lot of people were saying, Oh, you know, you're not making a profit or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, give it up. She was not like that. She was like, you know what you're doing. If you know that this is right, then you just stick with it. We'll push through it. Yeah. It's important, you know, when you're an entrepreneur to surround yourself with people who are going to encourage you because you are going to have those ebbs and flows in your business and stuff like that. And you're going to go through hard times and it's important to have somebody in your life that to tell you, Hey, don't give up, stick with yeah. it. You know, this yeah. is what you want. It's important. So that was really good. I'm glad. Yeah. My, the best advice I received from a woman it's my, you know, it's definitely my mom. And I think it was during a time when I was young and I was going through like some really hard times. And my mother told me, my mother was a spiritual woman. And she said, um, faith and doubt can't dwell in the same place. You're going to have to choose either you're going to have faith or you're going to be doubtful. And, you know, I swear to God that changed my life. And it really changed my perspective on how I view things when I'm going through hardship or just facing something that is, you know, just really a discomforting or just um, not comfortable for me. And I'm like, okay, either my doubt and say, Hey, I'm not going to make it. (laughs) 
<laughs> or I'm a, you know, or I'm gonna get it together and say, I'm gonna get through this. I'm gonna be okay. This is gonna pass and I'm gonna make it through. So that's like one of the I best advice. That. Now, now that might be one of my pieces of advice. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> I, I think about it all the time and, and it's so funny, not funny, but my mother also suffers from dementia. And so, and she, you know, she said this to me before she had the fully onset of it, but it's still something that I remember and something that my mother still has very strong spiritual woman, very strong faith too. And so talking to her, um, really does encourage me a lot. Still, she encourages me, oh, you know, yeah, till the day she died, she's still, yeah, advice still encourages me. Yeah. So I, I really do. I understand that. Well, Beth, listen, like I said, thank you so much. This has been a joyful conversation. I feel like I made a, I made a new bestie today. <laughs> and um, I know this is going to be a great show. So many people are going to love it. You guys are going to love this show. You're going to love listening to Beth and watching her. Also, if you watch on YouTube, listen, I am Shawnee Sanders. This is the Girl Techno Podcast. I thank you guys so much for watching and listening. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Girl Techno Podcast. We really hope this episode gets you one step further in your dream of becoming an entrepreneur. If you like this episode, please leave us a review. Once you leave us a review, we will shout you out on our next episode. Now, in order to qualify for the shout out, all you have to do is leave a review, screenshot the review, tag Girl Take No Podcast in your stories, and you will get a shout out in our next episode. Until then, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.